Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., this is a podcast from Minute Media. One two to Crawford. Strike three called and the ball game is over. Diaz finishes it with a one two three ninth. The Mets win their fourth consecutive series to start the year to go to ten and four. Carlos Carrasco with his best outings of Met goes seven and two thirds for the win. Lindor and Escobar homer and the Mets with a brilliant first two weeks of the season finish it off with a six to two win to close out the homestand everybody's focused on their task and that's extremely important in this city and anywhere you go you know you focus on your task you're gonna you're gonna be su- uh, successful and it seems like the new guys are are getting used to how the organization does things and they're happy in their roles and that's that's all it all comes, you know. The Epler and um, Buck did, did outstanding on choosing the right players to come here, because um, it takes a certain mentality to to be here and to um, for some of those players that were used to playing every day that might not play every day. With the New York Mets, all right, let me see. We got a good team.
It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Thursday, April the 21st, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network and the good folks over at RisingApple.com. Well, you may be perplexed. Why am I joining you on a Thursday? I didn't tease this segment after I had the broadcast on Sunday, we had our great broadcast celebrating opening weekend at City Field. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, Pat Jordan, longtime author and journalist, had a, uh, knew Tom Seaver for well over 40 years, gave you a behind-the-curtains look about Tom Terrific as we celebrated the unveiling of the Seaver statue, a new season of baseball at City Field, and a new vibe around the New York Mets. And... As I looked at the schedule and I saw that the Mets were playing a getaway day game here against the Giants, which, as I said Sunday, was their first test series. And that's the theme of the show. How did the Mets pass their first test? Hint, it went pretty well if you watch the games. And then I know they're going out to Arizona and then they're swinging back through St. Louis before they start another homestand against the Phillies the next weekend. And knowing that the Arizona game is late on Sunday and knowing how big this series was and with the getaway afternoon game in St. Louis next Wednesday, here's how it's going to go. Just to give you, we'll start right off with the schedule so you guys, I'm all up front with it. You're going to get me today kind of giving you a State of the Union with this Mets pass first giant test theme uh, show, as, uh, as I put it. And then joining us next week, we're hoping to have someone who covers the team joining us. After the St. Louis series, as we look in, uh, and get a feel for someone who's around the club to get an even deeper look into the early returns of the New York Mets, one-fifth of the way through the getting-to-know-you phase, you know how we break it down here at the Talk of Mets podcast. First 50 games, we kind of get to know the team. Next 50, we try to figure out how they can improve and get to the level that they should be, hopefully a championship level, and then it's go time at that point, the final third of the season. You heard Francisco Lindor here as we begin this short, this short Talking Mets podcast. You heard Francisco Lindor say, where the Mets were a good team, but he talked a little bit about small things. Guys accepting their roles, guys coming to the ballpark every day doing their thing, you know, coming off the bench. And I think that's really, as you look at this 10 and 4 Mets team, and I think everybody's going to get caught up in probably. Uh, the starting pitching. I mean, who wouldn't be excited coming into this series? It was the best start by a, a starting staff. I think it was maybe ever or, you know, top uh, four or five. I don't get too caught up in the details of that stuff because, quite honestly, there's 10 game stretches throughout the season where they're, they're going to be good. There's 10 game stretches where they're going to be bad. Doesn't matter to me, right? It doesn't matter because you're, you're, you're going to go through the ebbs and flows. So 14 games or 10 games. Doesn't necessarily tell you a lot, but you you certainly could get excited. And, and after the Cookie Carrasco performance today, you got to get uber excited about the starting pitching. We've already dived into the bullpen. Bullpen's been shaky, but it's done its job for the most part. 
Uh, maybe you're excited about Edwin Diaz. And who wouldn't be excited about some of the offensive performances? Pete Alonso driving in everybody, you know, from everywhere. Uh, you have uh, Mark Canna got off to this crazy hearts, hot start. Uh, you know, Eduardo Escobar you know, is, is all of a sudden got plate discipline. Who is this guy? He was not known as an on-base guy. Jeff McNeil, maybe he's coming back. But there's a lot of good things going on. But when you really dissect it all together, outside of the starting pitching, which is out of this world good, came back down to earth a little bit. McGill having a, you know, okay start, serviceable back end of the rotation start. Bassett getting hit but giving you length to save some bullpen came back down to earth. That's going to happen. You're going to have those regressions. They're not going to pitch to a 1.2 ERA all year. They're probably not going to pitch to a 2.5 ERA all year. I mean, dare to dream, but they're not. Even with all that, that's that's the extreme. The Mets haven't hit the ball particularly crazy well. The bullpen has had its hiccups. It's not like they're going out there and beating the snot out of every team. Even the Arizona series, a team that's struggling, that seems to have corrected itself a little bit in Washington, you, uh, you've had to win some tough games. And I think that, to me, and you heard it in what Lindor is saying, that's really the story of so far of 2022. A team last year that even though it spent 100 days in first place and looked every bit for a large part of the summer as a team that would have found a way to win, would have been able to get into the tournament with Jacob deGrom and possibly make some noise. For some reason, things didn't always go well. Even when they were winning, even when they were in first place, they never pulled away. They'd have a bad loss or they would be non-competitive. Perfect example was against uh, Carlos Rodon. Uh, was it Wednesday night? That was the Wednesday game. That was a game that last year the Mets would have went went to bed and packed it in, won the doubleheader the day before, packed it in, and went home. And yeah, they lost four five two, uh, lost five two, and and in, in the end it wasn't a close game. But look, Wilmer Flores makes a big play, saving a couple of runs. Ninth inning, Jake McGee was having some control problems. That wasn't as a shoe-in game. If that was a Mets win, you wouldn't have felt comfortable the whole thing. It was a game that made competitive. They made the other team work. And I know what you're saying. That's what their job is. But that's what good teams do. Good teams do a lot of little things. And when it comes to the offense, they're really not hitting the hell out of the ball. They're not even averaging the five runs per game that we talked about. Today they scored six. They're shade below five. So right now we're below, we're below our calculator. Our calculator said 5.2. That's going to be a theme. Our calculator, our baseball musings calculator. You'll be sick of that. That'll be on the bingo card before you know. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's this bingo card going around Twitter with all my sayings. You can go check out at Mike Silva Media on that. But you score enough runs. You know, when you make contact, you you know, McNeil with a base hit down the line, a two-out hit here. Moving the runner over there, Thomas Nito with a sacrifice fly there. It doesn't take a lot to score five runs in this league with walks and moving runners along, things that they didn't do last year. And to me, that's the theme. And when you came into this series against the Giants, a team that won 107 games last year, really the Mets were, though the games were close in August last year when they played them both at City Field, and in San Francisco. It wasn't like they were blown out. They had that wild extra inning game they won in San Francisco to stave off what I believe was to stave off a sweep. You never felt that the Mets were in their league. It was always like, there's the Mets, they're here. These guys are 30 40% better. 
And it was clear. And that's a playoff team. Just like when they played the Dodgers and they lost in August. Those were elite teams. And you wanted to see how the Mets came out on this. And how can you argue uh, with the results? They go out. They get a day off with rain. They, they, they sweep a doubleheader. Uh, you know, they get saved by a great play by Pete where Lindor easily could have thrown the ball away. And after a great win, an emotional win in their last at-bat with the goofy ghost runner in extra innings, last year very easily could have saw the team say, ah, eh, you know, I'm going to take off second game. Well, we got our win. No, you get Max Scherzer going out there with no-hit stuff, with uh, weather. I mean, let's face it. The weather, the entire homestand, with the exception of opening day, maybe last Saturday was okay. You might as well have been at MetLife Stadium, and I'm, I'm not joking, like, I think the other night, the doubleheader night, you might as well have been at MetLife Stadium and it was Thanksgiving or first week of December. Am I joking? Anybody who was in the audience that was at these games, this very small but robust, robust crowd, knows that. So, I mean, Max Scherzer goes out there with no-hit stuff and, and, and wouldn't have been able to finish that game. There was no way with how he labored at times. I think it was either fifth or sixth inning. And, uh, and the Mets shut the Giants down. The bullpen does its job, even without Diaz in the second game, and away you go. So things are falling into place. They have a loss against uh, uh, Carlos Rodon, who looked great, their ace. And then you come back, and you get the job done, and you win a series. And that's what good teams do, and that's what teams with championship and playoff-bound aspirations do. And that's what you have right now. Now, it's very early. It's very early. So it's the first of many tests. It's the first test. But they've come out there with flying colors, and you can't ask for more than that. Obviously, you're going to get extreme reactions when uh, those of the media cover a team. It's always one or the other. It's always gloom and doom and LOL Mets or, wow, this team really looks good, and and they're championship-bound, and uh, everybody goes gaga. And we pride ourselves, at least I do, and I think when you guys come to listen to this program, you as well want that. We pride ourselves on being balanced and not getting too crazy. But with the offense not yet hitting its stride, with the bullpen being shaky, we all know the starting pitching is way over-indexed. It's going to come back down to earth. You already saw some of that. There's still this good energy, and it reminds me of a lot. I know the Mets haven't had this consistent streak of winning. And, and we're still getting to know this club, so we, we can't say this with absolute certainty. But I, but I think back to some of the most successful seasons they've had over the last 15 to 20 years. 06, 2015 late, 2016 late, to a certain degree 2019 before they got derailed. You get into a mode where when they come to the ballpark, you know the team is feeling it. This start reminds me a lot of 06. Because if you think about it, the 06 team had some similarities in the sense where they had a lot of guys who were imports being brought together around some young players. Those young players were Reyes and, and, and Wright. Here it's Peter Alonzo and McNeil and DeGrom, guys that, I mean, DeGrom's not that young, but guys who are homegrown, and that's where you bring the Scherzers and the Lindors and the Escobars and so on and so forth. And early that season... Uh, they didn't play all great teams that first week. And if you look back at that division, they had some bad and bad Nationals team in that division, a young but pesky uh, uh, Marlins team. But the Braves and the Phillies weren't all that great. They used, they had a, a, a weaker division than what I think they're facing now. But early in that season, you started to feel and see good things. 
things that wound up building and uh, snowballing, becoming bigger things. And one of the biggest things that I think is the greatest analogy here as we start the 2022 season was how Carlos Beltran, who had a and, – and we've talked about this before. Carlos Beltran, who had a not good to, to 2005 introduction into New York, started off slow and then hit that home run, and Julio Franco pushed him out of the dugout, and then all of a sudden goes on his way to an MVP season. In a way – Francisco Lindor, who I've been very critical of from the start, from the trade happening. I didn't care about the trade. The trade was a great trade. I was all for it. From the signing, I would say, an overpay that they didn't have to do at that time through all the struggles of last year, even into the early part of this year. uh, I've always said, you know, this is not a $35 million a year player. This is not a guy that you all think you're getting. You're not even getting Carlos Beltran, I told people. But I knew there was talent there. I said, hey, this is Jose Reyes with power. A better defensive version of Jose Reyes with power. The only thing Reyes has better than him was his arm. This guy's better than Reyes and all that. That's a very good player, but that's not the hub of the team. That's not, you know, Carlos Beltran. Now, he's had a season like that, but it was a long time ago, 2018. What I will say is this. I do believe Lindor has in him, him to be great. He's a talented guy. He's an outstanding shortstop switch hitter, clearly loves playing the game. And I think he's not a leader in the sense where he's that veteran that, you know, you can go to. Um, but I think he's a leader in terms of energy, playing every day, and, and, and bringing that kind of component to the ball club. He may be the highest paid positional player, not quite sure he's the leader. I mean, I think Eduardo Escobar, well, the more you hear about it, is more of that kind of leader pro than maybe... Lindor is again we're getting to know a lot of these guys so I'm uh, all I can talk about today is what I see through 14 games in spring training but I think one of the things that is going for Lindor in year two is not only Buck Showalter who I'll get to in a minute because there was a criticism of him from a uh, anonymous competitor uh, in a John Harper column on SNY earlier in the week But I think what happened in Washington when he got beaned and the team basically as a whole, including the coaching staff, ran out there to defend him. And you all heard it on Apple TV when he was going back to the dugout. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. I wouldn't be surprised if that moment gave Lindor some sort of calm and support that he didn't have. That's number one. I think number two is, and Howie Rose was, because I was listening to the ball game today on the radio, uh, Howie Rose talked about how important and how great it was that the media is back in the clubhouse. And we've talked about that on uh, the Talking Mits podcast, where I didn't think they were going to be allowed back, and how I didn't think the players wanted them back. And we know, going all the way back to 2019, the relationship between the Mets beat, which has changed a little bit since 2019, not much, there's still mainstays there, But the media in general, not just the beat, the columnists, whatever, and the team has been bad for a while. Real bad. And I think Zoom, as great of a tool as it is, as easy it was for people to cover the the game, Zoom made things worse because you didn't get to get those interactions and get the players to see who you really are. It was almost like, I mean, anytime you have a press conference, it's so controlled and... You almost go into actor mode if you're the player. And it's easy to take the 
it's intimidating. You have this screen up there. I don't know if they were seeing all the faces. I don't know what the players were seeing on their end. But it's like you're in a movie or you're an inter- it's It's like you're in an interrogation room. I mean, the scrum is kind of like that, but it's more personal. And I think the fact that, like how he said, he's getting to know Lindor, getting to know who he is. I think the more that the media has a chance to interact with these guys in an environment where they're not just getting their work in, giving you two minutes and running into the clubhouse, but really in the course of their day, I think that will help a lot give them the benefit of the doubt. I think it's going to help Lindor a lot. And if he's a relaxed Lindor, a Lindor that's not trying to figure out if he's going to be in Cleveland or playing for a contract, not a Lindor on a pandemic-shortened season, not a Lindor that came in and basically said, hey, I just won the lottery. I'm a $350, $360 million man. I have to be everything. I have to be A-Rod. He's not A-Rod. I wish he was. He's not A-Rod. But he could be a guy that could hit you 30 home runs. You saw that. He could definitely get on base. He could definitely be an on-base guy. He can drive runs in. He can steal bases, maybe 20, 25 bases. Who knows? Maybe he gets aggressive and tries to be a 30-30 guy. I think that's asking a lot in today's game. But with this Mets team, you don't know. They're very aggressive. Not just Joey Cora. They're very aggressive. You start to see that. And you start to see what he could be, you get excited. You really do. And a Lindor that's playing at an elite, here's a guy that was, uh, he got MVP votes four years in a row. Now, he hasn't been that player in a long time. He won, you know, he hasn't won a gold glove since 2019. But it's there, it's inside of him. And if that's the Lindor, if Lindor is having his breakout like the 2006 Carlos Beltran, well, that changes a lot. And I'm rooting for him. Look, I'm the one making jokes. Hey, the Mets didn't even, they, they didn't even date before they got married. They went into the Match.com profile and said, that's my, that's it, we're done. I've made that joke. Now, I understand that there's a lot of good in Lindor, but I also felt that they didn't have to give out a 10-year deal. I don't like 10-year commitments. But now that we have this 10-year commitment, the Mets are committed to Lindor, Lindor is committed to the Mets. So whether both these sides really wanted each other for that long or it was a marriage of convenience, it don't matter anymore. And the fact that now he's getting embraced by the fans, I mean, they're chanting MVP, and he had that. And I really am going to go back. I'm going to say it again. That incident, that Friday night, second day of the season, on Apple TV, no, no less, where you heard Lindor say, thanks, I appreciate you guys, meant a lot. So who would have thought a beaning might be that first part of Lindor's innocent climb into becoming a New York player, officially becoming a Met? And then he has the big hit, the big hit, after he almost made an error that could have been disastrous, just... 10 minutes earlier on the field, that was he was basically saved by Pete Alonso. So that's the first thing. Now, the other part where you see in this series is, okay, now you've got starting pitchers that came back down to earth and McGill and Bassett and what have you. And in one of those games, the Mets found a way to win. You know, so you, what you were trying to see is, are the Mets so over-indexed in starting pitching that some of their starters mirage? And I think what you saw in the San Francisco series, it's not. And what was really impressive is that McGill fought through that and gave them, and, and Bassett, they gave them more length. It didn't spiral where now you're pulling in your bullpen. They actually saved some bullpen by able to go a little bit deeper into the game. And that's exciting. But the most exciting thing, and ironically, it's another guy that I've been critical of, 
is Carlos Carrasco. I mean, Carlos Carrasco, I don't care about win score or ERA plus or or even Scherzer's performance, which was outstanding two nights before. Carrasco's performance today was the best starting pitching performance of the year for the Mets. Why? He worked quick. He threw strikes. He got out. And oh, by the way, the most impressive thing, he pitched into the eighth inning. Scherzer hasn't even done that. And that's huge after having the doubleheader and all that stuff. And I am laughing because Jolie Rodriguez got an out in a big spot. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I know that drives some people nuts. Ron Sequitur, by the way, I'm going to throw this to that, you guys. Do you think Miguel, Miguel, and I didn't see, has Castro gotten hit? I haven't checked his line score yet. Do you think the reason Castro's pitching better in uh, pinstripes is either the power of the pinstripes, I've talked about that, or because he cut his hair? You think maybe the hair had something to do with it? Something to think about. Non sequitur. Anyway, so Cookie Carrasco is another guy that I have been critical of. Hasn't had a good year since 2018. I understand there was the cancer diagnosis. Thank God he's well. Then, you know, he comes back on the pandemic season, pitches well in 12 starts, uh, does not pitch well last year. And look, that hamstring screwed up his entire season. He tore his hamstring. He didn't just pull it. Got off to a late start. Now we know he had bone chips. And even he talked about having the ability uh, to to throw more than two pitches. And, I mean, maybe that's the part because his arm, and and it probably played as much into uh, Carrasco struggling, uh, his inability to throw all the pitches that he wants to throw uh, probably played into that. And if he can... He can be a multi-pitch pitcher, a guy that can mix it up with more than in uh, you know fastball changeup, what have you, and a guy that can give you. Now, I'm not delusional. I mean, Carrasco. All kidding aside, I always said he's been you know he's way better. He, he he's he, it's been a long time since he's been good, but from a four-year period from 2015 to 2018 in Cleveland, before the whole cancer thing, before any of that stuff. Uh, he averaged 15 wins a season. He had an ERA plus of 130. Uh, he, he walked. He struck out way more than a batter per nine innings. He struck out, uh, you know, ten over 10 per nine innings, and he had a low walk total, uh, about two per nine. Had, a, had one year he was top five in the Cy Young Award in 2017. Won 18 games. He was a good pitcher. I don't know what 35 post cancer, post hamstring, post arm surgery. If you can get that. But if you have a guy in the back end of the rotation right now that can show flashes of that, and I think back to how I was always an advocate of Steven Matz, because I said Steven is a back end of the rotation guy, but he's a guy that has top of the rotation stuff, and he can give you a string of games or at any moment in time pitch like a number, a number two. If Carrasco could be that on a walk year of his contract, watch out for this rotation. Because I think McGill is emerging. Uh, I I know Bassett had an off game, but I think Bassett is a, is a thinking man's pitcher and knows how to go out there and compete and win at a high level. We all know that Scherzer's a Hall of Famer. And look, David Peterson's the, in, in the rotation now. Taiwan Walker may come in. We kind of know those are six-inning, three-run guys. Uh, I think uh, Walker's more likely to be that guy than Peterson, but Peterson hasn't pitched poorly. And here it is. I said, play better, 
go out there. Don't worry about DeGrom. And I'm not sitting here saying DeGrom's not coming back. And I'm not going to start saying when DeGrom comes back because I told you, I made a commitment. I made a promise. And I know the MRI is on Monday. Probably another reason why we should wait to have the show. And we're going to do the show today and then another one next week and skip Sunday. But when DeGrom comes back, the pressure taken off of him to uh, matriculate his way back into this rotation and not have to be DeGrom from 2021, which was perfect, that's scary. That's scary because if you're going to get the recipe you saw this week against the Giants, good starting pitching, six to seven outs from the bullpen or less, that's how you win. Today was actually with Carrasco. That's the recipe. You want to get seven plus innings from your starter and you want to be able to mix and match to get to Diaz for that one inning. And then it allows you to not overuse Lugo. It allows you not to overuse May. You could spot Jolie Rodriguez against the right left-handed hitters, and then you put Diaz in there for that one inning. And if you need to sit Diaz because he's been overused, you could go to Trevor May as your closer. You could go to Seth Lugo as your closer. Shoot, Chasen Shreve against lefties, against right. Maybe you go to him. Funny how Chasen Shreve was talking about, and it was an article in the Post about uh, Jer- uh, with Jeremy Hefner, how he says he comes over here, and what, what does Hefner do? He tells him, uh, you know, he wants to pitch a little bit lower in the strike zone. And after it's like, oh, well, why don't you go out and do it if that's how you feel you could get people out? And look, that's what he's doing. They wouldn't allow me to do that in Pittsburgh. I mean, we're insane in the game today. It's like you're trying to create clones, like every pitcher the same. That's just not the way it is. But that's not what this show is about. But um, tons of good signs here. Tons of great energy. And it's a lot of little things adding up. Outside of the starting pitching, which is the most exciting thing that has been so dominant and so and historically good throughout the first 10 to 14 games of the season, it's not like everything's going perfectly well. And that makes you feel really good that there's a lot more to come and a lot more good to come. And what makes me laugh is that here we are, and this is after the Arizona series where the Mets win the, uh, the series, And John Harper was talking about a conversation he had at Citizens Bank Park with a person in baseball who he respects a lot and thinks they're pretty smart. And the quote is, the Mets are such a win-now team. Do they really think Buck is the right guy to manage them? He's never, ever won a pennant. I mean, like, that matters. And he plays those passive-aggressive games with players. I don't know. And I'm like, you know, sometimes passive-aggressive games with players and calling them out and holding them accountable – and not worrying about their feelings, that's actually a good thing. That's what's missing in this world and certainly missing in this game. And Buck not winning a pennant, I mean, part of that could be that he was fired a year too early in a couple places. You're going to tell me, now you're going to tell me if they didn't keep Buck Showalter, if they kept Buck Showalter in 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000. He would never, the Yankees never would have won a championship. Yeah, I know Joe Torre was able to mitigate George Steinbrenner and hold him off and all that stuff, but read, there was a book. I mean, George tried to hire Buck back after he hired Torre, and that's fact. He ran there, and Buck wound up saying, I already committed to Arizona. So sometimes that whole, you didn't win a pennant. I mean, Jimmy Leland only won, what, one World Series? I think he's a pretty good manager. Casey Stengel won more. I'm not sure Casey Stengel was as great a manager as people think. So that really makes me look. It shows you how insecure and how control freak these front offices are. 
and how myopic they are in their thinking. And thankfully, under Steve Cohen, who I thought back in October was going to go all analytic, all new age, and pretty much sanitize the dugout, he went the opposite route. And I think he went the opposite route in the uh, the GM's uh, chair. I think he brought a guy in that understands where and how analytics has to go and play. I think they got a great pitching coach, too. So there's so much good going on. The Mets passed a huge first test against, look, that's a team, the Giants, that if they play a three-game set or a five-game set, that's going to be a tough series. They're going to be close games. They got Rodon. I mean, think about it. They haven't even uh, had all their players. They don't have Evan Longoria. Uh, who else did they didn't have? I'm going to uh, have to think about this here because I'm trying to think who else they didn't have on there. Uh, they didn't, uh, uh, Stremski was struggling. Uh, they don't have uh, Lamont Wade Jr. It was out. He was a big Tommy LaStella, not a bad hitter. And, uh, I mean, look, uh, you look at that rotation. You go up and down. Uh, Logan Webb, uh, tough pitcher, Carlos Rodon. Even Alex Wood, who the, uh, the Mets didn't see, uh, very tough. I actually like Desclafani. He's been struggling. I like him. Bullpen is really solid, up and down. Really tough, actually, the bullpen. That's a tough team. So it's not like the Mets came in. And look, I get it. They probably had a home field advantage, the Mets. Here they are, the Giants. They're coming in. They're on a winning streak. They come and play in this ice box. I mean, even Max Scherzer said the ball's like a cue ball out there. Uh, Stremski probably hits a home run if it's July or August to tie the game the other night. And then the Mets maybe go out and they have to win another game that last that bat to sweep the doubleheader. But look, them's the breaks. It happens to everybody. It happens to both teams. And they don't and they're another team. They don't have great hitters up and down the lineup, but they got guys that make contact. They got guys that have power. So I mean, unless I'm missing something, I think the Phillies, even though they've been losing and they don't have great uh, pitching up and down, and there's all these questions about Wheeler, they got all that offense. So I know they've played Arizona, they'll play Arizona again, and the, the danger with Arizona is that they've been hitting so poorly. They're major league hitters that bound to bounce back and, and, and pop out, and you hope they don't do that at home this weekend. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Mets have, haven't played all pushovers. So there's a lot of good here, and, and there's a lot of good vibes, and I think uh, let's let the good times continue to roll. So that's kind of my where I stand. The Mets passed their first test. There will be way more. Our plan now is to, well, let's see what the, the MRI, if the MRI, if things are really turning around for the Mets, if that MRI comes back solid on Monday for DeGrom and he starts throwing and his return is really on spot for Memorial Day or slightly thereafter, a lot to get excited about. A lot to get excited about about this team and what I love the best about Buck, and you've heard Jeremy Hefner say, you've heard the players basically say it. And to a certain degree, Lindor said it in the, in the quote, as you heard coming in. Just worry about today. Do the little things today. Love your role. Uh, embrace your role. Be good at your role. And worry about today today. Wipe yesterday away and move on after you win and get ready for tomorrow. And that's what they're doing. And that's what winning clubs do. And that's all I've ever wanted this team to do for a long, long, long time. A long time. So that's the state of the Mets. They passed their first giant test. We know where their old giant thing came. All right. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with another show next week on Wednesday after the getaway day against the St. Louis Cardinals. We're going to take Sunday off. Late game on Sunday, 410 start. Mets diamond back. So Enjoy watching some Mets baseball this weekend. You can check me out all the time at the talkingmetspodcast.com. 
send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I want to thank the good folks over at the Fan Side Podcasting Network and RisingApple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy your weekend of Mets baseball. We'll be back with our next show next Wednesday, Getaway Day in St. Louis. Till then, take care of you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.